20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Thursday, April 15th, 2021. It is tax day, if memory serves. I think this is the deadline. I don't know. I always do mine early. So I don't know when the deadline is. As Andrew Brandt likes to say, deadlines spur action. Uh, not the case when it comes with, with your taxes. Don't mess with the government's money because they will find you. I'm your host today. I'm Jacob Westendorf of the Pack a Day podcast. Our Thursday crew is back and better than ever. To my right, which you guys can't see me here, but I could see everyone else, so I have that privilege that you do not, is Eli Berkovitz. Eli, welcome. Hey, Jacob. Hey, Rob. How you guys doing? Looking forward to previewing some receivers, which obviously should be a hot topic amongst Packers fans everywhere. Yeah, I don't know if you guys heard, but they did not draft a receiver in last oh, really? year's draft. So, no, they did not. they did not pick one. So, I don't know if that's been talked about at all. Um, but we're going to talk about it a little bit tonight. Didn't they they take a quarterback in round one last year? They may have. I'd have to, I'd have to check Google to be sure. Don't we have one already? Like a pretty good one. Uh, Or something. I don't know. It's weird. In theory. So, you know, whatever, whatever's the case, that is the way. And you just heard his voice. That's Rob Rieger. Rob joining us again tonight. One of our special add-ons here for the pack a day podcast for uh, draft season. So uh, what was it? The King of the geek squad. Is that what you said? They called you on That's another. They call me the, yeah. The King of the geek squad on a uh, 97, three, the game. So I, I'm going to be the, um, the draft, I guess, analyst or expert, uh, pseudo expert uh, for them now for the fifth year. And actually uh, my first year ever uh, started out with a bang. I successfully predicted the Packers trading down out of round one to pick Kevin King at the beginning of round two although I felt like they should be drafting TJ Watt. So that was my first time on the radio it was five years ago. So I uh, kind of tripped down memory, memory lane there. I wish I was good at that good all the time. And while we're covering topics that haven't been covered enough, Rob talking about <laughs> the fact that Green Bay did I, I just figured I'd run the gamut. You know, yeah. I'd run the gamut on all uh, uh, Packer Twitter uh, freakouts. So Rob, it's, and, it's your fault we don't have TJ Watt. <laughs> I, I, I'm very, very doubtful that they were listening to me at that time. But uh, <laughs> I'll take the I, blame. I'll fall on the I sword. Would, I would certainly like to think that, you know, the general manager is not listening to fans, but you know, what was the old saying? If you listen to the fans one day, you'll be sitting with them or something like that. I think that's how that goes. So I believe that the Cleveland Browns uh, drafted Johnny Manziel because a homeless man uh, told the owner that uh, I believe that's a true story. Yeah, That was a story. Yeah. I remember that. That was good. The Browns are the, the, well, the previous regime Browns, I should say, because now it appears they might be on the up and up. But uh, the previous regime Browns, that's a different different beast altogether with how all of that went went down. And I still don't have full belief that anything that's involving Jimmy Haslam is going to be successful. But we'll see. They they yep. obviously had a good season last year and just added Jadeveon Clowney this afternoon. So that's an exciting name for them. If you want to talk about speaking of drafts, that was uh, the same draft as Johnny Manziel. So... We've gone, we've come full circle on all of that. Let's let's talk receivers, guys. And what I want to start with is last year, if we're doing this show at this time, I think all of us would have said, you know, what's their number one or number two need? And we almost all immediately would have said, Hell yeah, they need another wide receiver. Yeah. Then last season happened. 
Packers have the number one offense in all of football. There's a lot of reasons for that. Of course, Aaron Rodgers returning to MVP form certainly helped. Um, the the offensive line playing well all season certainly helped. Devontae Adams being there all season obviously helped. But they did have some decent seasons out of Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Alan Lazard, Robert Tunyon, which we're not talking tight ends tonight, but pass catchers in general. That season happens. My question to you guys now is I want to do – a bit of an assessment of the receiver room. And here's the way that I kind of look at it. Devontae Adams, obviously one of the best players at his position, if not the best at his position. And after that, I think you have a lot of players that are replacement level talents. And that's not a bad thing to say. Uh, obviously they fit really well in the system. You saw that with Lazard and you saw that with MBS specifically last year. MBS, you can argue was the best receiver or had the re- was the receiver that had the best game in the NFC championship game for either side uh, of the two teams. So there's obviously some moments there. You know, my thing with those guys is can they win in a big spot? Like, you know, Devonte Adams can, and I'm not saying they got to be like Devonte Adams necessarily, but I'm skeptical. Uh, I think that that's something that I think is fair. And then you get to the back end of the roster and you have Equinemius St. Brown. I'm going to believe in him until I can't anymore. I think, but uh, it's, it's just something that has not happened. And then you talk about Devin Funches. I think they have a free look at him in camp, but expecting anything out of somebody that has not played football in two full years, yeah. uh, I think is asking for a lot. I still, for one, would be very surprised if Devin Funches made the team. But at the same time, I do not feel this is something that the Packers, quote unquote, have to address in the first three rounds. Not It's not that dire need if the board does not fall a certain way. They don't have to force themselves into picking somebody, which is a good thing about the way that Brian Gutekunst typically drafts because of what I said. The offense is good. The players that are in the system right now fit well into that system, and they have some you know different ways that they do things. You know, Obviously, the, the running backs catch the ball out of the backfield quite a bit. Uh, the tight end usage if they get a, you know, a, a leap from Jay Sternberger, that's something that could certainly play into the way that they spread those targets around for this upcoming season. But that's kind of my assessment is they don't have any other great players, but that's not necessarily a terrible thing either. Rob, what's your thought on the current receiver room? I would say that when I watched it, it's kind of you have to put things into a couple different categories. You know, a guy like Devontae Adams can actually win, you know, versus defenses. To me, it seems like a lot of the other guys are kind of schemed open. You know, they'll, they'll call a play to specifically um, maybe draw the defense away. Rodgers will look off a of safety and they'll figure out a way in their scheme to get a guy open, whether it's in motion to create uh, matchup problems. Uh, it doesn't seem to me like anybody else on that roster other than Devontae Adams uh, necessarily wins a lot, um, you know, in one-on-one matchups. So, you know, from that perspective, um, I think that they do need a receiver this year pretty early, but I also thought the same thing last year. You know, I was stumping for Brandon Ayuk, Justin Jefferson, trying to find a way to trade up to get those guys, and, um, you know, obviously they didn't. So um, maybe they still feel the same way, that they can just basically, you know, put, you know, fast guys out there that are tall, which has kind of been their M.O., and then they'll be able to somehow create plays to get these guys in space and get them open and get them receptions. And Rodgers is so good that he'll spread the ball around and he'll find the open man. And that's kind of been, you know, what they've been doing. But the one area, and maybe we'll touch on this later, that I, I do want to cover is that 
I believe that none of the receivers on the current roster have a contract that extends beyond this year. That's correct. And it's kind of been a, the way that the Packers have been doing it, if you look at it, is they kind of draft guys like a year early. So, you know, they'll pick guys a year earlier than they actually need them. Like you look at a, like a guy like a Rashawn Gary, like they didn't need him his first year. It let him kind of marinate for a while, and then he played a lot more last year. And then you also have, you know, even, you know, obviously with the Jordan Love and A.J. Dillon, you know, being picked fairly high. These are not guys that we relied on heavily last year, but could play a, maybe not Love this year, but Dillon for definitely play a bigger role this year. So I kind of wanted to get your thoughts, Eli, on that and just receivers in general. Yeah, so looking at the receiver room, I mean, obviously, as we all agree, it's, it's Devontae and then a collection of guys that are in – Great, but they're not necessarily huge liabilities. Yeah, we've seen some drops from MVS, maybe even a couple from Lazard. But first things first, I, I really like the point Bob made in terms of scheming guys open. And I said this a ton on Open Book, on Game on Wisconsin throughout the season. I thought that Matt LaFleur's play scheming and play calling was so good that the talent almost didn't really matter that much because guys were just so open. And then even if they weren't exactly wide open, when you have Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball right into your arms, you should be catching it if you're a receiver in the NFL. But that definitely does play into it. And I think a lot of the people who look at last year and say, well, they were the number one offense, that's true. And you still have Rodgers and you re-sign Jones and the offensive line, you did lose Lindsley, but we imagine it should be good, maybe not as great as it was last year, but still good above average. That is all still there, but you do need a person opposite Devontae who can win in big moments one-on-one. If Devontae is being double-teamed, you need someone Rodgers can look at and rely on consistently, and I don't think MVS and Lazard are right now those guys. Like They're good players, but they're not players that are really going to scare a defense all that much. MVS, maybe you put a guy over the top so he doesn't burn you deep. But Lazard is really more of just kind of a possession receiver, which is which is nice and it's it's good, but I wouldn't call him a receiver too, and I wouldn't call MVS a receiver too either. So the way the receiver room looks right now, I definitely still do think they have a need to draft one within the first couple of rounds, even with how good the offense was last year. And real quick, in terms of Devin Funches, Jacob, I know you've been – you said it last week, I think, and then you said it again today. You don't think he'll be on the on the roster. I actually I actually think he, he very well could be. Obviously, I mean, looking at his social media and the training videos he's done, and this, he looks like he's just in terrific shape. Like you wouldn't – if you saw him, it doesn't look like he hasn't played football in two years. So who knows? He could come out there – and be flat and have lost a step and maybe they just say, you know what, at your age, it's just not worth it. And we're going to go and look at younger guys, some guys we drafted, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he came out and ended up getting a spot on the roster and, and being a contributor. Cause I think he's good. I think he has good hands. He's, he's good in the red zone. He's, he's a big guy, a good target to look for down near the goal line. So I don't have a ton of confidence in Funchess, but I also am definitely not going to rule him out as making the roster. 
Yeah, my thought on that is just if they if they draft a player or two, and I and I do think they will. I know what I just said about it not necessarily being their biggest need, but I do think they will. Like Rob mentioned, they draft guys ahead of time as opposed to later. And with Adams, let's get this out of the way. Adams is going to be on the roster after 2021. I will believe that he's not when I absolutely see that happen. But there's been way too much smoke and discussions about an extension for something to not eventually come to fruition, at least in my opinion. After that, you know, you've got a bunch of guys that won't be around or maybe won't be around. You know, I don't think I think between Lazard and Valdez Scantling, maybe the Packers try and keep one of them just so they're not going into 2022, whether that's with Rodgers coming back or Jordan Love's first season as a starter, separate topic other day. But you don't want to have that be Rodgers or Love with Adams and a completely brand new group of receivers. I think that would be a, a tough ask for either the aging quarterback or the new starting quarterback. I think that would be be a difficult side of things. But, you know, I will say this. When it comes to MVS, I'm not suggesting the guy is, is Devontae Adams or anything close to it, but he did – he beat Carlton Davis in a one-on-one situation in the NFC championship game, that 50 yard touchdown. That was not a scheme. That was a, he runs by it kind of thing. Now, is he limited? Yes. Are there things that he's not necessarily consistent enough with? Yes. I do think that the, the other thing that I do think to some degree is the, and maybe this is just the way that Matt LaFleur runs his offense. It remains to be seen, but the whole concept or idea of a wide receiver two, to me is a little overrated. And I say that because, we're kind of conditioned to think. So if you go back to the 2014 offense, for example, which is the best one they had before this past season for a full year was when they had Jordy Nelson, obviously the, the lead the league in touchdowns. He was one of the best players at his position. And then you had Randall Cobb to compliment him. I think the way the Packers do things now with Matt LaFleur is they have Devante, obviously. And then that second guy, it's kind of like throwing a dart. Now, maybe they do that because of, the, the talent they have in the room is a little limited. That's certainly possible. Or maybe that's the way that he wants to do things. He just wants to feed his stars. Your stars are 17, your stars 33. And then last year, their second leading receiver just happened to end up being by receptions, at least Robert Tunyon. Uh, yardage, I believe it was MBS. So that part could be interesting to me. I do think they'll draft one. I just don't know that, for example, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, you know, you get to day one and say it's pick 29. And it's Greg Newsom is on the board, and so is Rashad Bateman. One, that would be very surprising if that were the case. But, you know, a starting caliber corner and a quote-unquote wide receiver, too. Who are you taking? Last year, you absolutely probably get a ton of people that say take Bateman because they need that receiver more so than they need that cornerback. This year, I'm not as sure that that's the case. But that's my thought on that side of things. Rob, jump on in. Go ahead. You know, I was just going to say real quick, you know, before we move into these prospects and, and, you know, before we beat beat this to death is that um, you have to look at cap hits as well because, you know, all these guys are going to be wanting new contracts. So, you know, it's not just a matter of saying yes or no on them. It's, you know, how much are they willing to pay? When you look at some of these cap hits, you see like Devontae Adams is $16.7 But then you go all the way down, MVS, $2.2 Um, Devin Funches, 1.5 million. You have even further down the list, EQ, 879,000. Alan Lazard, 850,000. All of those guys are going to want raises to re-sign. So, you know, you have to kind of take that into consideration as well. Would you rather have a guy like that or maybe take a chance on a guy maybe in the fourth or fifth round that you're not going to have to pay as much money to that can do similar things? 
And that's why I think they'll draft more than one guy. You know, like say, for example, my situation comes to fruition and say they choose Bateman. I would not be surprised at all, at all if they took another guy in the fourth round a la Jamon Moore, although hopefully it turns out better than that pick obviously did. And then they take a late round flyer on a guy in the fifth or the sixth round, kind of like right. the Bears did last year with Darnell Mooney, for example. Take a take a shot right. on a guy who's like a one-trick pony, but it's a, basically what they did with MBS. I mean, yeah. honestly – the yeah, that was the same draft. Right. It was the same draft as the Jamon Moore. They actually picked in the same draft um, EQ, St. Brown, and also MBS um, yep. after after Jamon Moore, believe it or not. So they went three deep on receiver just to fill in those roster spots. So I, so you know, a lot of the focus I think for the scouting should be on that. You know, anywhere from the third round to the to the fifth round range, and some of those guys are available. And this is a very very talented wide receiver class. I don't. I don't know how deep you guys went, but I've been basically nonstop studying receivers over the last uh, probably three, four days. And man, there's there's a lot of guys that that I think could really leap up the rankings and become actually impact players in in year one. Uh, talented, talented players this year. One of the deepest. And we talked about last year's wide receiver draft as being so deep. This one might be even deeper than the one last year. Well, and we know that based on what Brian Gutekunst said after the draft last year, he didn't necessarily buy that the class was was that deep, which ultimately that's that's what matters is whether or not they think. You, right. know, it, it, you can gather that from the way that the draft played out last year, they had about six or seven guys, and that line that they drew was presumably at Chase Claypool, who ended up in Pittsburgh uh, right. long before the Packers picked in the second round. After that, essentially, according to Gutekunst, they didn't think anybody that was left that they could have drafted was going to make the team. Now you can disagree with that. You can agree with that. That's that's all beside the yeah. point at this point. But let's jump in. Last year's draft is over. The season's over. And I don't know how you guys feel, but I really don't think if they had done anything different in the draft, it would have changed. Well, from a receiver standpoint, I don't think it would have changed anything for the NFC title game. That's just my thoughts on that. But let's talk about types a little bit because I've seen a lot of thought discussion that the Packers, you know, they're, they're okay on the outside, which is true. I mean, obviously Devontae Adams can play wherever the hell you want. MVS is a primarily boundary guy. Lazard, they move around a little bit, but he's mostly a boundary type. So there's the thought that the Packers need this guy in the slot and someone like, you know, Kadarius, Tony, Elijah Moore, Rondell Moore, somebody like that, or do they need, you know, somebody on the boundary, someone like Diami Brown, somebody like Rashad Bateman, something like that. My answer to that question is they need a good player or two. And I, I don't think they should be too concerned about a type as to where you could put a guy because the the versatility of Devontae Adams allows you to do so much within that system because Adams literally does play everywhere. He lines up at every single receiver position and they move them all over the place. So I'm not too concerned with a type going into this class. I would like to see, you know, if they drafted two guys, for example, in an ideal world, yeah, I would like to get you know, one of each, you know, kind of one guy on the outside, one guy that's a little more, you know, rack RPO type player in the middle of the field. But overall, if they take two boundary guys, I'm okay with that too. Eli, do you have a preference or are you just saying take good players and try and plug them in? I mean, yeah, I definitely want them to draft good players, players I like and someone I would be confident in, but I still would probably like to see them try to find that slot type of guy that Randall Cobb kind of receiver that we've been missing. But at the same time, looking at LaFleur's offense, there's a lot of two wide receiver sets where you get a couple tight ends involved, maybe even the running backs split out. So it's not like McCarthy's offense where you're constantly having three receivers 
and that slot receiver is being used a ton the way Randall Cobb used to be. But that being said, and I would still like to see them try to get, not even because he's a slot guy, but almost like you said, the gadget guy. So in speed, speedy, put him in the slot. You can maybe do some RPOs with him, some jet sweeps. But like you said, with Devontae Adams' ability to play in the slot and do it so well, you don't need to be boxed into that. I mean, watching him last year, there was a part of me that thought maybe he should just be the slot receiver. I mean, not maybe not 100%, but be the primary slot receiver and have Lazard and, and MVS on that on the boundaries because I think he's a better he's obviously a better slot receiver than both of them. That goes without saying, but I, I think he's actively a very good slot receiver. He gets open. If you try to cover him with a safety or a linebacker or even a nickel cornerback, they struggle. And when you just put him in the middle and you give him more space to make those incredible moves that he does, it really becomes unstoppable. So I, I'm not going to you know, be angry if it's one type or the other, but I guess I would say I would like to see someone with some more speed, maybe just kind of move away from this whole need to be six two six three kind of thing we've been seeing from them the last two years. I think they've been caught in a mold where, okay, now you've built up a roster of Adams and Lazard and MVS and EQ even. These are big guys, and that's great. Funches too. Funches too, obviously, very big. Go and get yourself a, a speedster, a small guy, someone you could use in gadget play, stuff like that. So that's why someone like Rondell Moore – or Kadarius Tony, which you both said are two guys I'm very high on. So that, that's a it's a great point, man. You know, because and looking at Lafleur's offense, and just to interject real quick on that and that point is that they have a need, or they've they've used guys like that. Uh, Tavon Austin, they're using in that role. Tyler Irvin, they're using in that role. Um, they just weren't they weren't that good. You know, they weren't they didn't really they they weren't really that effective in that role. But it's not to say that they don't use guys like that. Um, you know, my favorite guy, and, and this, I guess if we want to categorize into the slot-type gadget guys, uh, Elijah Moore is my favorite by far. I've been watching a ton of tape on him. He's super productive. He's quick. And he, and he and he's a guy out of Mississippi that, that I love. He's probably my favorite guy in that role that maybe not a first-round pick, but maybe like a second or third round if he's still, if he's still around. The thing with some of those guys, like, like, I don't think Tony will be there. He might be, but, you know, I don't, I don't know if he will. Rondell Moore would be another guy. But I think that this year, more so than other years, I'm just kind of looking at this list here, is there's more of those guys than I've seen in recent drafts. These really mm -hmm. small, quick guys that can get in out of breaks or fast. Um, another big sleeper, and write this guy's name down, Dwayne Eskridge is a guy that I featured for the Cheesehead TV draft guide as a small school uh, sleeper. And, and that guy's ultra quick. He's he's a just a, a touchdown waiting to happen, big play waiting to happen, and and you can go down two two Atwell as another guy. Amari Rogers. These guys are five eight five nine. Marquez Stevenson. Even you know some deep dives into, into guys like that. Daz Newsome. These are guys that are five eight five nine five ten. But they're really fat and they're really quick out of the break. They can get open fast. Uh, they're very quick footed at the line, and they're just they could be dynamic players in our offense. Yeah, they can. And the Packers, you know, the good news is, like you mentioned, they have the ability to utilize these guys to the best of their abilities. And I think what they'll do is if they do, in fact, take a guy early, they'll find a way to use him at the best. You know, you mentioned Tyler Irvin and that jet motion role. They do need somebody, right? Irvin's not on the roster currently. So they need somebody to fill that role. And that is a role last season. It's very similar to 
that Josiah Deguara H-back kind of role that you saw last year when they lost Deguara. It took them a little bit to find Dominique Daphne, and they kind of just started plugging guys. In. You know, John Lovett was there for a while until his leg blew up, and then they had obviously Deguara's leg blow up, and they were struggling to find somebody to fill that role. It was the same when Irvin couldn't play. It's a role that is tough to fill. And when you're, you know, they used Aaron Jones in that role. And I don't think that's the best use of his, his talent. Well, and, ta- and Tavon Austin toward the end of the year, we signed him and, right, and basically, you know, yeah. And that was, I mean, that was another attempt to try and fill that role. And Tavon Austin was just more name than anything else. You know, I think that's where you're looking to see, can they find somebody to fill that kind of role? And that's where I think, you know, whether they're taking, you know, two receivers and a running back or something like that, one of those guys is going to be designed to fill that kind of role. And you talk about that role. You said you liked Elijah more. I like Rondell more in that role. You know, the thing that scares me about him obviously is the, the injury side of things, but man, is he fun to watch? And it's just fun. It's fun to imagine either of those guys in that kind of role. Let's, let's look here. Let's go day one. So obviously store or uh spoiler alert guys, Jamar chase, Devontae Smith and uh, Jalen Waddle are not going to get in range for the Packers to pick them. I don't want to be, he won't be, unless one of them has a Laramie Tunsil moment for the draft when they show up with a gas mask or something like that. Legendary. I mean, what a, that move to me is one of the greatest, just boneheaded moves I've ever seen. It was, it was incredible. I, I, watching that happen was just like, how does this show up on the biggest day of your life? 10 minutes before the biggest night of his life. And that pops up. Uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. It was just hilarious. It's, it's incredible. So I wonder if something like that, maybe not that specifically, but there's <laughs> always seems to be some weird storyline that plays up right before the draft starts. So I look forward to seeing that. But those three guys are not going to be Packers. So starting from the line, you know, most people, the general consensus of wide receiver four, if you will, is Rashad Bateman. So let's start there just as a guide. Who's your guys' favorite prospect on day one? and that the Packers could potentially target at 29 or higher if they do decide to go with that route. Rob, I'll start with you because I know your your rankings are a little different than the consensus, which I like. I, I do like yeah. that, so don't take that as a slight. Well, one thing that I like to do is I really don't try to look at other people's rankings before I do mine. I, I, I mean, sometimes I, it's hard to it's hard to avoid that, but you know, I try to just watch the film and try to come up with my own stuff beforehand. And um, believe it or not, I have Rashad Bateman as my second-rated receiver in the entire draft, and the reason is because of how polished he is as a receiver. Uh, he's a great route runner. He has a great route tree. He has experience running just about every route that you can. Um, he thrived in an offense that wasn't really designed to showcase wide receivers. And with Tanner Morgan at quarterback, who's not exactly you know a reincarnation of like a Joe Burrow, uh, he's not quite that type of passer. And you know a lot of times they they go run first to do a lot of RPO stuff. And he was able to thrive in that offense. And he's an explosive player off the line. His feet are excellent, which is one thing that I think is very underrated in receiver. A lot of times we talk about the forty. But in reality, if the foot quickness at the line or at the snap is so important for these guys getting open, it's what people say uh, separates Devontae Adams from the rest of the pack, is his ability to get away and, and have quick feet at the line. Um, I see that time and time again with Bateman. Um, he has excellent hands, uh, great route runner, quick feet, and I just think opposite of Devontae, he'd be a perfect uh, complement to him. So he's my next guy on that list. Yeah. Okay, so... so- Bateman, yeah, sorry, Eli, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Bateman's somebody who 
the Big Ten is the the conference I just happened to watch the most. It's local. I'm in Illinois. I root for a Big Ten team. I'm not going to say who because it's kind of embarrassing at this point, but whatever. That's Anybody who follows me on Twitter kind of catches the gist there. But I watched Bateman in his first game of the season, and I came away impressed. And I actually came away even more so impressed after finding out that Bateman had the virus, lost a bunch of weight, came back and then eventually, or maybe it was, he opted out after he had the virus again, but, or not again, excuse me, but he has that competitive. We talked about this last week, you know, he has that competitive nature to him and that want to, and it was a game where, you know, that, that first game of the season against Michigan did not go well for Minnesota. And it was a Minnesota team that had relatively high aspirations for what, you know, they were chasing a big 10 championship theoretically at the beginning of the season. And it didn't go that way. I thought Bateman was very good. You know, you mentioned the suddenness and stuff off the line, Rob Ross Uglum calls this guy diet Devonte Adams. And I think that's an appropriate comparison. Um, not that he's got the same violence off the line of scrimmage, but I think last year when you looked at receivers and you see stuff that's like, who's somebody that could fit in with Aaron Rodgers right away? Because it's not as simple as Madden where you plug and go and 12 is going to just figure out how to work with you. That That's not how this quarterback operates. So you have to watch how guys are going to operate with Aaron Rodgers and is this translatable. So last year, the reason I love Justin Jefferson as much as he was good in the scramble drill. And Bateman's another one of those guys too. He's a precise route runner, knows where to be and when to be there. Eli, I know, I think the first draft profile you wrote this offseason was on Rashad Bateman. So tell us your thoughts on him. Yeah, so Rob definitely stole my guy, but that's all right. I, I had some backup just in case. But yeah, I, I love Bateman. And obviously, I'm sure most people don't have him as high as two, but it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being that good. I mean, last year, Justin Jefferson ended up being the fourth receiver drafted, and he was one of the best receivers in the league. So I'm with you on Bateman. I love him. But behind Bateman, I would probably look at Kadarius Toney, who, I mean, I feel like he's similar to Rondell Moore, but just Rondell Moore, the height, like I, I was saying earlier, I want them to go out of that mold of being 6'2", 6'3". But Rondell Moore is such a discrepancy coming in, I think, at 5'7", at his pro day. So looking at Kadarius Tony, he's six feet tall, not a small guy, but still very fast, quick. He ran a 4.38 um, at his pro day, and in 38 career games, 120 catches, almost 1,600 yards, 12 touchdowns, and he could run the ball. He had 66 carries for 580 yards and two touchdowns. And another thing that we all know Brian Gutenkunz values very highly is the RAS, Relative Athletic Score. And Kadarius Tony came in at an 8.97 out of 10, which is very good. He's one of those guys who you want to just get the ball in his hands and let him work his magic. He's great after the catch. You could throw a little bubble screen to him behind the line of scrimmage, and he can end up picking it to 10 to 15 yards. You could do jet sweeps with him, play action. He could go deep, and he could beat a guy over the top. He may He might not – jump over you per se and and rip the ball away like a like a calvin johnson but he he could burn by you like mvs could and i just think he would be the perfect fit for matt lafleur's offense because he's so versatile because he has that gadget like style to him where he could plug him in in so many different areas and use him very effectively and we've we saw and we've said throughout this uh show tonight just how many guys kind of got schemed open in a way and there were times, you know, I'm watching Packer games where 
guys are catching balls with five to 10 yards of separation from anyone. And that's not because Robert Tunyon is running past guys 10 yards. It's because he's schemed that wide open. So if instead of, let's say, Alan Lazard, who isn't the fastest guy or the shiftiest guy in the world, catching the ball over the middle with room to run, it's Kadarius Toney, that's going to make a difference. He can go and turn a 12-yard gain, make a move, and he could be gone for 60 yards and a touchdown. Lazard doesn't really have that skill. And while MBS is fast, he's not necessarily great with the ball in his hands. He's more of a straight-line speed kind of guy. Gets a little bit awkward when he tries making moves in the open field. So for me... I do love Bateman as the one, but Kadarius Tony, if, if Bateman's gone and Tony's on the board somehow, I would take him. And just last thing, I, I basically fully expect the Packers to trade up in this draft. They've done it all three times with Goody. They have a ton of picks. So while I agree Waddle, Smith, and Chase should probably re- be removed from the equation, I think every other receiver is on the board for them because I think they will move up. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a great point, and that's kind of what you know I was thinking of too with Bateman because I don't know if he's going to fall, even Tony as well. I don't know if they're going to fall to twenty nine, but if we can maybe get into that twenty one, twenty two slide, I've been reading a lot of um, a lot of rumors, I guess, of us trying to get into that into that twenty one, twenty two, so we can take one of those guys if they drop a little bit. Yeah, and that twenty one spot is it, it makes sense on the surface just because Indianapolis has fewer picks. They obviously made that investment with the Carson Wentz trade, so the easiest way for them to get some picks back, you know, what does that cost? Does it cost both for you know for for reference sake when the Packers traded up for Darnell Savage, thirty in both of their fourth round picks got them to twenty one. Now it's a different year; they have some different picks. Obviously, does twenty nine and both fours get to 21 or does it require that third round pick? You know, that's the question that Brian Gutekunst is going to have to answer. You know, my thought on the whole thing, as you guys were talking was, yeah, I do. I love the idea. Eli, like you mentioned of somebody that can catch it, turn and burn and turn, you know, kind of the way the 49ers use Debo Samuel. How do you get an easy six, seven, eight yards without easy throws, layups, if you want to call them that. And then obviously you have your ability to hit some three pointers uh, with the deep balls and stuff like that. And you mentioned guys that aren't that great with the ball in their hands. Devontae Adams isn't even really that great with the ball in his hands. He's a good yak player, but he's not an elite type of guy like they've had in the past. So you know, any of the guys that they can get early, like we've mentioned, you know, Bateman, Tony, Rondell Moore, you know, those kinds of guys, I, I'm certainly in if they can do something like that. You know, the question is just going to be, Who's available at that time? And for example, let me ask you guys this. Greg Newsom, Caleb Farley, and Rashad Bateman are all, say, available when they're at 21. It's easy. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is easy. This is easy. Farley all the way. Okay. Well, for, I guess, for me, know, at the, least. For me, it's Farley all the way. The, the Farley thing for me is assuming Dr. McKenzie. So let me say it this way, Rob. Rank those guys then. One, two, and three. Farley, Bateman, and then Newsom. I like Newsom a lot, and but I, I think that maybe it might be getting a little bit overhyped on on the Packer yeah. Twitter type of thing. He's a really good player, and he's a solid player. But but Farley's a difference maker. He's a top ten talent if he doesn't have that back surgery. And he was being talked right up there with Sertan as being the the number one corner in the draft. Uh, so if he were to fall, and in a position where maybe he's 
is not needed at the first couple of games of the season. And, you know, because we have Kevin King, we have Jair, you know, we'll probably still have Sullivan. So we have those guys in there and he can kind of ease his way back into the lineup. I think that would be the perfect scenario. Yeah, I, I would rate it. I would flip Newsom and Bateman just, and maybe I'm going on a need standpoint there, but I do really like Newsom as well. Uh, Farley, certainly if the doctors sign off, like you mentioned, if the doctors sign off, Farley's a top 10 pick, but uh, Eli, how to rank those three guys yeah. that I just mentioned. I honestly was going to go exactly like Rob. I think as long as Farley's healthy, if you could get him in the twenties, you're getting a massive steal. And then I would probably take Bateman over Newsom, kind of like Rob said, like Newsom is definitely a good player. But I feel like over the last two weeks, I haven't seen a single person's name at cornerback other than Greg Newsom. It's just been Newsom, Newsom, Newsom. And it's kind of just hyping itself up and, and taking a life of its own at this point. And I do think he is a solid player. But I think if you're looking at a team that wants to win right now, I think you have Farley, who could be just an elite corner opposite of Jair. And then you could look at a guy like Bateman, who can maybe take this offense to just a totally next level. And then I would have Newsom just a little bit behind Bateman. Okay. That part would be interesting for sure. Let's, let's look at day two with these day two. And uh, you know, the early portions around three here with these receivers day two, I'm not the president of the fan club, but I would be remiss. My partner on the gold zone is the president of the Diami Brown fan club. So uh, <laughs> Diami <laughs> Brown and Eli, I I'm not going to talk too much about him. I'll let you do that. Cause I know that's kind of your guy too, but I will say this. He's somebody who uh, Marcus Eversall was one of, he works for WDUZ the fan. He was one of my best friends in college. I'm still pretty good friends with him now, obviously, but he had this thing where he said, this guy just looks like a Packer. And the example he used for that was Randall Cobb. And it just makes sense in your head. Like, and he explains it much better than I do. Looks like, feels like whatever you want to say it as far as a Packer goes. Diami Brown feels like that sweet spot, number 62, second round pick, you know, Devontae Adams, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, Randall Cobb, all those guys that fit in there. I think he just feels like a Packer. But Eli, tell me more about how he fits into this offense and why you like him for this team as much as you would. Yeah, so I'm a big fan of Brown. I think he would be the classic Packers, as they've done with Jordy and Jennings and Cobb and so many other, and Devontae, second-round pick receiver that just hits and is very solid, six feet tall, so you know comes in close enough to their height threshold they like. Not the fastest guy in the world, but not slow, 4-4-6, that is pro day. And in 32 games... 123 catches, 2,006 yards, 21 touchdowns. And again, with the, with the RAS score, 8-4-3. That's very high out of 10. And I just think he, he's almost in, in a way like Devontae Adams, very good off the line with his feet. I see him beating people with his feet off the line a lot, and that impresses me. And I like his ability to go up and, and catch 50-50 balls, contested catches, he doesn't mind contact being around him. He'll go up, rip the ball down, and make a play. And I just think that's something that right now, yeah, you have Devontae, but other than that, you know, MVS can be very shaky at times if you're just throwing a ball up to him and he doesn't have a step up on someone. In the meantime, I think I think Brown, very talented at, at high-pointing the football when it's coming his way. And that's just something I think would complement Devontae very well. And he would just fit into this offense in a really nice way. And I think him and Rodgers would, like you said, Rodgers maybe operates a little bit differently. 
and I see Brown as someone who could really mesh well with Rodgers' style. I will say this too, something on Brown that's just an interesting little nugget is he chose to go to North Carolina over Alabama. And can you imagine that receiver, Diami Brown, Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith? I mean, unfair. that's crazy, just the thought of those guys all together. But he went to Carolina, obviously made a name for himself. Uh, he's got another good teammate over there too, which Rob might talk about him in a little bit as well. But you were going to go ahead, Rob. So, so this, so it sounds like a lot of times, you know, in these last couple of weeks, and I think that we're on the same page on, on a lot of prospects. Uh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to throw up a, a penalty flag or something on, on, on this one. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Brown. Now that's not to say that if we can get a value for him, um, if he lasts to the end of the second round, I would say that he might be a, a decent selection there. I'm just not sold on them. And I, I see, I see in, inconsistent hands. I don't see any dominant trait. And that's not to say that a, that a secondary receiver has to be dominant or, or a second receiver has to be dominant. But when I, I really, when I look into him and, and I hear everything that you guys are saying, but I think that he's like above average at ed, everything, but I don't see him as being elite at anything. Um, he had 15 drops in the last two years. Um, he, had some had some trouble tracking the deep ball. That's been kind of the kind of the word on him. Um, yeah, he's four four, which is good, but it's not great. It's not elite. You know, he's six foot. You know, he's one eighty nine, which is good, but it's just not elite. And I kind of I kind of just get this feel that we could get someone similar to him a little bit later in the draft, and that that's. And I know that you guys don't agree with me on that one, but I, but you know, that's just what I see. Is that I see a guy that's that's that's, that's good at everything, but not great at anything. That's what they said about Heinz Ward too. Just that <laughs> he's a if and if Julian you know, Edelman's a Hall of Famer, then so is Heinz yeah. Ward. So we're just gonna throw that you know, in. No, I'm, we're not hey, doing the Julian Edelman thing today. No, no, no. I <laughs> can't agree on everything, guys. Like I, I just, you know, I, I don't, I don't see anything elite about him. And and you know, if you get to that second round, I'd rather take a guy that has at least an elite trait. Um, sure. E- even a guy like you know, like a Nico Collins, um, you know, out of out of Michigan, towards that end. You know, this is a guy that's like six four. He's really fast. You know, he could be a guy that that, that could have, um, you know, kind of that elite skill. Um, even EQ's brother, um, yeah. EQ's brother would be a great option in in that role. And he's not at the fastest guy. But he gets the job done, and he was very, very effective in that role. Um, you know, my boy es- Eskridge is another guy that has elite speed. He's so quick out of the break, and that was my thing with Diami. Is that I just don't, I don't see that eliteness out of him. I really don't. I think I see him as like a fifty catch, like seven hundred yard, like five touchdown guy. It's- uh, that's understandable. You know, and you mentioned Amon Ra. I'm not a huge fan of his for, for the same reasons you're talking. I think his, his elite trade is actually something that, <laughs> that, that Matt LaFleur, I think is really going to love. And he's a really good blocker. So I think that's something that the Packers, and that's something to keep in mind. You know, the Nico Collins thing I think is interesting because I've watched him play each of the last, well, not this past year, he opted out this past season, but each of the last couple years. Um, and the speed thing is interesting to me just because it's not something that, that really showed up a ton on tape. And that could be because he was playing with Shea Patterson, who I like Shea, but you know, that's not exactly Joe Burrow. So that's certainly something to keep an eye on. And I do know my buddy, Jake Morley uh, from Arrowhead pride Packer report and the gold zone was down at the senior bowl. And I know the NFL is very high on him. 
Uh, they were asking. I love. I love his tape, man. I, I loved his tape. Um, I, I thought that he's he, he's quick for his size. You know, he's not quick. Right. You know, compared to some of those other guys, but you know, the five nine guys. But but for a guy six four, he's pretty quick, and he has not. He has good feet. He has good hands. And you 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 hit the nail right on the head. Is that he was a victim of Shea Patterson, and it doesn't mean he wasn't open down the field. It just. Patterson couldn't give him the ball. He, he was so ineffective as a quarterback. Chill. Let's. This isn't going to turn into shame. Shea Patterson shame hour here. That's just, <laughs> <laughs> Shea, uh, Shea. I don't love Shea as much as I do like Denard Robinson, but I do have at least a little bit of appreciation right. for him. But the, the Nico thing is going to be interesting. Collins is one of those dudes. I think last year, you know, I thought the Packers were going to take two receivers, so I kind of went into like, what are some perfect fits? So if they took a guy in the first round and the fourth round, what does that look like? Nico Collins to me is somebody. Let's say they take. Kadarius Tony or Rondell Moore early, if they could get Collins as that other receiver, because I do think Collins is somebody who's going to take, you know, the Packers, I mentioned this last week, they don't typically, or they haven't, I should say, play their rookies early. And Nico, I think is one of those guys that's going to take a year to right. develop a little bit and learn. He did play in a pro style. Well, kind of played in a pro style system, but Michigan changes their offense like every year. Cause they have a different offensive coordinator. Or they tweak stuff all the time. So I do think it's going to take a minute for him to be ready and potentially make an impact. So I wouldn't, I do kind of like the idea of, you know, if he's available in that, at that third round range and they've taken that, that gadget guy earlier, then I don't think that's a terrible idea to add that in. But I would say that if we came, if green Bay came out of this draft with Nico Collins as their quote unquote primary receiver pick, if you will, I'd probably be a little disappointed on that side of things. Let's go to some of our day three types taking a shot last year. You know, there were some day three players that, that gained some steam towards the end there. John Hightower was certainly one. He ended up in Philadelphia struggled last season. Darnell Mooney out of Chicago. I remember when the bears picked him and I went son of a, yeah. So, (laughs) and then he had, he had a pretty good year. You know, he had a big play. He was the bears leading receiver in week 17. If memory serves, he had a big play down the field against Darnell Savage, who obviously had a great end of the season for green Bay, but Eli, who's somebody towards the end of the draft that green Bay could pick. And you'd be like, yeah, that guy could contribute, you know, maybe early or become a guy like MBS has and develop over time. I think um, Jalen Darden out of North Texas is someone that's very interesting. Um, He just came off a season where he scored 19 touchdowns in nine games. So that's first off. I mean, the guy knows how to score. He is a little bit short, 5'9". So we're looking at that, you know, gadget style, almost like Tony and Rondo Moore type, but someone that you could get late in the draft he ran a four four six, not super fast, but I, on film he looks faster, in, in my opinion, than that time shows. And over his career, two hundred and thirty receptions, twenty seven hundred and eighty two yards, thirty eight touchdowns. Like I said, nineteen of them, so half of his touchdowns coming in nine games last year alone. And he doesn't hit the eight on the RAS score, just a bit below at seven point six six at RAS and. Uh, Ross Uglum uh, posted today or yesterday how I think 25 of the 28 players Brian Gutekunst has drafted have had an RAS score of eight or above, but he's right almost at eight, so I'm not going to rule him out for that. And he kind of reminds me of Randall Cobb. I just see him as a really good slot receiver, someone who could take a slant route, almost like Greg Jennings also, take a slant route, cut up field, make a move, and and basically be gone. I look at him – Almost like if, if you miss out on Rondell Moore, he could be like a later round 
cheaper version, poor man's version of Rondell Moore, but not necessarily, you know, in a bad way, just a little bit slower, but he's not getting a ton of hype. I think he's in a fall and I think he could be someone that could contribute. And like you said, you know, you draft a guy a year early, let him be on the roster, learn from guys like Devante, Lazard, kind of get a connection with Rodgers. And then maybe in 2022, he could be a premier slot receiver for us because I think he has some sneaky upside and I'm excited about him. Right, right, let's so jump you, into some deeper yeah, guys. So, yeah, go ahead. So you're going to – well, I, I like Darden a lot. That's a great pick, man. Um, I'm, I'm going to give you three quick hitters. So I'm going to kind of get you like a fourth-round selection that I like, and then I have a couple other ones on my radar. Uh, like a fourth-round guy it was like a Seth Williams out of Auburn. Um, was a very productive player for a while. He's another guy that ran into some quarterback problems. He's not getting any love at all. And I don't know if teams view him a little bit differently, but he's a big, big body, 6'3". He's about 220. He ran a 4'49", and he was very productive three-year starter for Auburn. He struggled a little bit. Bo Nix couldn't give him the ball. He's he's like kind of like my fourth-round guy if he's available. But then I also have a guy like Marquez Stevenson out of Houston who was also productive. Some injury problems there. Because um, I just – I don't know if the Packers are going to pick a slot guy early on. So if we want that slot guy, we might have to go with like a Darden, like a Stevenson a little bit later in the draft. And then finally, my last one is um, Terry out of Florida State. Um, he's an intriguing prospect who also struggled with some quarterback issues there. Uh, but he <laughs> – coming out was a what you're laughing about that Florida State oh my god it just amazes me that they had Jameis Winston you know the slam dunk number one overall pick and then since then like you're Florida State how do you not have somebody that can maybe put the ball in the general vicinity of a damn wide receiver but yeah I mean so so Terry Terry seemed to be a guy that when I watch him is open all the time and he he didn't put up you know eye-popping stats like like a Darden but he was a guy who um, was pretty highly touted coming out of high school and he played a ton for Florida State, and he could be a guy that surprises late. So I know he asked me for one, but I couldn't do it. I've been studying these guys so much, and there's so many guys I need to talk about. So th- there's some three um, that, that could be potential, like fourth to sixth round players for the Packers. Yeah, and that that part will be interesting because I do think the Packers. You know, once you get to the f- late fourth, you know, the Packers compensatory pick in the fourth round, and then the fifth through the seventh round you're just kind of taking shots on athletes and that's really what green Bay has done. You know, the year that they took well, more, maybe not a great example because he was the first pick of the fourth round, but when they took MBS and EQ, those were just athlete picks. And sometimes you hit on guys like that. And that's where you're going to find the best way to find diamonds in the rough is to take a shot on an athlete with a trade or two. So as much as like, like Ty Summers gets flack, obviously for not quote unquote panning out, but like he's a seventh round pick and they took a shot right. on a guy who was really athletic and that's, that's the way things are going to go. If you're relying on your seventh round pick to be a contributor, then that's probably not going to work that well. You're going by the exception to the exception to the exception to the exception. That is the rule that typically your better players are picked earlier. And there's good reason for that, obviously. So I'm interested to see how this pans out. I look forward to finding things. Um, you know, this is going to be a year where, yeah, I think, I think the Packers draft a receiver or two and, you know, the fantasy football nerds and all the people that don't really understand football, but they pay attention to, you know, box scores and stuff like that. will finally maybe shut the hell up about the Packers quote unquote, not doing enough for Aaron Rodgers. If you can't tell, I don't actually buy that bogus ass theory, but that's my thought on those things. I'm going to let you guys call your shot here. Eli, the Packers in the first three rounds, do they pick a receiver? And if so, who is it? 
I'm going to say they do pick a receiver in the first three rounds. And who it is, I mean, I honestly cannot see them taking one in the first round as much as I would want them to. And I think I think they could end up looking at either one of Daz Newsome or Diami Brown, maybe in that second or third round. Uh, that that could be someone for them. And then maybe just a, a dark horse would be maybe a Tutu Atwell, I think, is someone they could look at. I know that he's been getting some flack lately on Twitter, but I watched his film. I thought he looked very fast, looked good on the field, played fast. So those are some of the guys – I would look for, but yeah, I mean, as much as I would want a receiver in the first, it's just, we've seen, that's not really how they operate. Yeah. I've, I've, I've kind of come, I've come to the realization that, you know, if you get excited about a receiver in the first round for the Packers, it's just a letdown every year. So um, I'm going to say that if we do pick a receiver, I'm going to say yes as well. Uh, and I think it's going to be in either the second or the third round. Um, an intriguing guy that we didn't really talk about is Marshall out of LSU, that, that if he drops yeah. a little bit, that we could trade up and possibly get him. I don't know if he'd last to the end of round two, but I know that Gutekunst was saying last year that he tried hard to move up into that first half of the second round. Mm -hmm. um, he just couldn't find any takers. Like there's no, there's people didn't want to trade with him. So, you know, he's definitely, it was, you know, I think he regrets that a little bit that he didn't, uh, that he didn't trade up and, and didn't actually maybe throw in that, you know, extra draft pick to get there. And I think that he won't make that same mistake twice. So I'd be looking at a Rondell Moore, a Marshall, a Brown, um, in that second round, maybe even Amari Rogers out of Clemson. So yeah, Amari Rogers kinda... is, is one guy I was I was I wanted to bring up. I think I think he looks really good, and just another Rogers to Rogers connection is always fun. So gotcha. I didn't <laughs> I didn't talk to uh, I didn't talk about him tonight because I figured one of you guys would bring him up. But yeah, Amari Rogers. I know that was a big thing. He said his dream was to be a second round pick by the Green Bay Packers. So that certainly is a possibility there. Uh, Terrence Terrace, I've been screwing that up all the time. Yeah, My phone yeah. hates me too now. <laughs> Terrace Marshall is an interesting one to me out of LSU just because I posed this question on Twitter the other day about it, and that was he played the season or started the season, and then right before they played Alabama, he yeah. opted out of the year and said he was going to. So I, I'm not questioning him. I just wonder if Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutekunst will have questions about you know, do they view that a different type of way than some other people might? I don't know. But, you know, from an athletic profile and age standpoint, he's 19 years old or he's 20, like just turned 20, something like that. You guys mentioned his athleticism. It's off the charts. He profiles well as a potential Packers pick. I don't think it's going to be a first round pick. Uh, and, and frankly, I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. I think the way the Packers try to build their team is they care about positional value. So passers, pass rushers, pass protectors and pass defenders. And as you've seen in this league, especially receivers are just a dime a dozen. Like there's so many good ones and you find them all over the place. But I do think they take one on day two. And I'm going to take my shot. I said earlier, he feels like a Packer. So I'm going to say it's Diami Brown. And I think they take him 62nd overall, or if they have to move up in that second round. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. But I do think they come out of days one and two or one or two with a receiver or two. Uh, it's, you know, I think that's certainly possible. And, you know, the way one other thing that I can tell you that we certainly know is the way we view the Packers needs isn't necessarily the way Brian Gutekunst does. Last year, we talked about wide receiver, defensive line and linebacker. The Packers proceeded to draft zero receivers, zero defensive linemen and one linebacker in the fifth round. So 
<laughs> that part will be interesting. But, uh, you know, I think Brian Gutekunst has earned at least some benefit of the doubt. He's 26 and six in the last two seasons with the team he's put together. So maybe we, the other thing I would like to encourage people is to understand maybe we don't know as much as these guys do. They have so much information on this side of things. So that's going to do it. Went a little longer today. Like I said last week, I didn't think you guys would be all that interested in the receiver spots to talk about, but uh, we, we went a little longer today. So thank you guys for sticking around with us. If you still did, you can follow the show and the podcast on Twitter. It's at Packaday Podcast. Please do that. Give us a rate and a review. Uh, and that just kind of helps us out in some of the work that we have. You can follow me personally on Twitter. I'm at Jacob Westendorf. You can follow Rob at, at NFL Draft Regs, R E G S. And you can find Eli at Book of Eli underscore NFL. Book of Eli underscore NFL. Check the videos, check all that stuff on everything they got going on. Rob's obviously got his takes on everything that you'll find there. And then you can find my stuff through there on everything as well. Next week, we are talking about linebackers. So we'll be talking about some guys like Micah Parsons and JOK and Nick Bolton and Zayvon Collins and all these kinds of dudes that a position that maybe Green Bay will be in the market for on the early side of things. So certainly look forward to hearing that from you guys. Thank you for everybody for listening every single week. And we're two weeks away from the draft. So just hang tight, stay safe, do your thing and go pack. Go. 